Yeah, I'm looking at Charade, Eight and a Half, It Happened One Night, and House. I love House. Okay, come on, man. You can't like House and not drink. <laughs> That's so not true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. <laughs> the Big Show. Back to Talking During the Movies, show where two jackoffs talk about new movies and movie news. I'm James. And I'm Mike. And this is actually episode 35, X-Men Origins, Mike and James. And I don't mean to throw you under the bus there, Mike, because as we talked about, uh, it's equally my fault. <laughs> I, I had to learn on Facebook that I fucked up, because as you know, I don't listen to our show. Yeah, no. I, 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 purely out of not wanting to hear my own voice. I just, <laughs> you know, want to make that clear. That's fair. Yeah, no, he he thinks our show is great, and as do as do we all. Um, but what happened to the pre-show is that I told Mike that last episode was episode 35, and then he asked me for confirmation later, and I said, oh, it's actually 34. And he said, but you told me it was 35. And I said, well, I was wrong, and I apologize. But then we had another aside, as last episode was just wrought with, uh, just meaningless asides, a lot of which I had to cut out because we were running long. Um, yeah. But And then after that aside, apparently we both forgot that it was not episode 35, and it was in fact episode 34, because while Mike said episode 35 in the show, and I did I did not think to re- to correct him on that, so uh, we're sorry. Uh, last week was episode we're 34. We're sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we're sorry. Please post a picture of you uh, sitting naked uh, in, on a bear rug in front of a fire. Yeah, you know, I, that that's not so, the, for some reason the the image of like uh, rubbing my nipples from the from the Comcast episode. Oh, the Comcast. I mean, that works too. Yeah, that, I don't, those are from two so, completely different episodes, but yeah. Yeah, they work. They work. Popped in my head. Either it's it's the idea of a corporation feigning uh, sympathy. So. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's get into Marvel. <laughs> we're definitely gonna do that that's for sure um we're we're on this episode we're gonna review deadpool and probably 45 years although as painful as it's gonna be i, I want to keep that limited so um I mean, how is that gonna work like I, I, it doesn't fit thematically at all so we really don't all. have to but i mean there's okay i'll tell you what if uh we'll, we'll, we'll do it and uh, if it if it works, you can keep it in, and if it doesn't, you can cut it out. And we'll most definitely mention it uh, next week during uh, our super special, much alluded to end of year episode. Our best That's of the cool. year, yeah. Best of the year. I, end of year is a bit dubious because this is the end of February. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're as as hard as I tried, I did manage to see. See 100 movies before the before the actual year uh, let out before 2015 let out. But then I made a list of movies that I still needed to see before I felt comfortable making my top list. And 45 years was the last one. It just came to the Pickford and it's still there. So if you're in Bellingham, you should definitely go see it. Um, but yeah, I saw that one and I've already started to make my top list. And shit, this is hard. Good God, uh, mm-hmm. when you when you actually see a lot of movies. Uh, uh, I, I made two cuts down to 40, down to 20, and now I'm just like, just fighting tooth and nail my way down to 10. And, it's and, really and what difficult. scares me more is that I haven't done any of that. 
<laughs> it, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's... I'm procrastinating, uh, and uh, as I want to do, and I'm kind of afraid that as we prepare to film next week's show, I'm going to be uh, sobbing and scrambling over notes and trying desperately to come up with some semblance of a reasonable list that would make me not want to uh, completely delete whatever we record. <laughs> All right, well, it's a good thing that the recordings are on my computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, very far away from you. Oh, 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 uh, I don't know. That one time, maybe they're less safe in your hands. <laughs> yeah, oh, that God. one time I, okay. I deleted it, yeah. Oh, God. You should... I, I, I... Real prick. I'm sorry. That was... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you bastard! No. <laughs> this is James speaking. This interruption is brought to you by the revenge of Alejandro G. Inuritu, who has sabotaged my recording software and made it so 20 minutes of our episode didn't record. So sorry, but we're just going to jump right into Deadpool with no real lead-up, and it's not our fault. It's the director of The Revenant. It's his fault. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program where two jackoffs talk about new movies and movie news and will never say another bad thing about Mr. Inuri 2. But I think it was kind of seminal that this movie come out in a post-MCU world. Um, because I, I think even back when... Because, uh, like, you know, you had mentioned Ryan Reynolds was a big uh, proponent of getting this movie made. Um, but I, th- I think Deadpool nowadays means a lot different than... Or a superhero like Deadpool is so much d- different nowadays than he was back when whenever X-Men Origins Wolverine came out. Um, because I think the way we view superhero films as a genre has changed a lot. Well, it's true. And, and Deadpool himself is... the The character is antithetical to... Uh, to comic books, you know, his comic book character is is the same way it is in in, in the movie, um, and because of that, yeah, this in in this in this cinematic universe we are we are in right now, where all these films are inherently connected. It's like the perfect time for a Deadpool movie. It's like the sort of the the movie we need. I think I, I, what I thought you were going to say about the box office um, is that it, a lot of people aren't really paying attention to the fact that this movie came out in, in February. Now, an R-rated movie that comes out in February is going to do a hell of a lot better than an R-rated movie that comes out in, say, June or July. Um, and that's because there's less it's competing with. Um, and, you know, I, I look at last year, um, Spy, was a, well, Spy was a huge flop, whereas Kingsman and the Secret Service was, uh, was a huge box office success. It was, like, the third highest R-rated movie that came out last year behind... Right. Shades of Grey and Mad Max Fury Road. But if you switch those films' release dates, it would probably be uh, probably the opposite box office, too. Yeah, so. and you probably have a whole squadron of, of internet dorks decrying that that Kingsman wasn't given its fair shot in the sun. I gotta... I gotta... I, I gotta say my piece on that movie someday. I mean, yeah, I no, that's gonna, that's gonna be fun. Point. <laughs> Did but, you ever... Did, have you seen Kingsman yet? Yes. Okay, you did. You didn't end up seeing it yet. I did. Well, you can just do uh, an entire Matthew Vaughn um, on the contrary then. One of these days, but you know, uh, you you brought up a good point. I actually hadn't even considered that, so I'm glad you brought it up. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, because like, who's going to movies in February? It's not fucking. It's, it's so like, everything's so bone dry that it's like you're looking for something, and and, and yeah. 
kind of a an edgy movie is going to be like it's going to be a reason to get out of the get get out of your house and go to the theater. I mean, I feel bad for sixteen year olds who want to go on a date, but I mean, that is not the market anyone in Hollywood wants to tap into right now. Apparently, not before <laughs> summer time anyway. Hey, you can go see Kung Fu Panda three or just have your mom buy you tickets, whatever. <laughs> uh, it's not really that hard to get and see Deadpool. Um, but uh, no, that, that, that's a very good point. Um, but I, but I, I think I think maybe what's also interesting is just considering why it's resonating so much with people. I think that has to do with the fact that they that everyone has just been dilute. You know, it, they've just been bombarded with superhero films over and over again, um, and they're, they're still routinely successful. So we're not sick of them, but we're very culturally aware of them. And superheroes have been kind of creeping their way into almost every single type of cinema uh, if not like literally uh, at least in terms of just a peripheral awareness uh, we saw them lampooned in, in clouds of sills maria we saw them lampooned in birdman um and now it, it would seem you know we, we had movies like kick-ass before but like or, or even like revisionist superhero films like Watchmen, uh which was of course a revisionist superhero comic in the first place um but uh, now this is maybe the most blatant uh, instance of a a superhero film taking itself on from the inside, coming from within a major studio, uh, uh, a major like a, a major official comic character, like from one of the giants, Marvel or DC, um, to really kind of get all postmodern on on the whole structure of comic book heroes. So. And comic book superhero films in general. So, that's kind of how I want to frame the discussion we have about Deadpool. And uh, Yeah, and that's true. D- Deadpool in the comic books is someone who knows he's a comic book character. And Deadpool in Deadpool movie starring Ryan Reynolds is someone who knows he's in a movie, you know? In, in uh, certain instances, knowing <clears throat> even the uh, studio limitations of what uh, which characters they're allowed to show in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> And how licensing works, uh, which was pretty, which was a nice touch. Um, so let's just let's just get into the nitty gritty here. Uh, Deadpool is uh, folks. You know, it stars Brian Reynolds as Wade Wilson, of course. Uh, he's just your average uh, bounty hunter vigilante who uh, realizes he, he hooks up with a really cool girl played by uh, Marina Bakarin. I can never really pronounce her name. Uh, she's familiar to anyone who's watched uh, Firefly or Homeland. Uh, uh, and they are seemingly having a wonderful, happy relationship with lots of fucking when suddenly he <laughs> finds out that he's got cancer all over his body, just riddled with it. Uh, and so uh, he responds to this by... Uh, leaving and offering to be a test subject in what appears to be a uh, government-sanctioned laboratory, but is actually a private evil scientist lab that is trying to create artificial mutants. Um, And uh, antics ensue, and he emerges from this institution as the as our favorite Merc with a Mouth Deadpool, and he actually has a mouth this time. Uh, he does. <laughs> with his goal, he, he looks like an avocado who got fucked by a much older avocado. Uh, or hate-fucked, hate um, according to T.J. Miller, his, his bartender friend. Yeah, and he also also uh, looks like Freddy Krueger face-fucked a topographical map of Utah. That was uh, actually a better one, I think. Um, it was. I was disappointed to see that 
two of those lines made it into the actual movie. Um, you were hoping it was all in the trailer, and that was it. Well, you know, we see we see these things all all the time, and I know. where it's, it's, you look like humor. Well, no, what I'm what I'm saying is that in, in trailers, like trailers, are often like, and in er, maybe early screenings, they'll often show a lot of jokes, and then they'll just like pick the be- the one that tested the best and put it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the trailer, there were a lot more. So I, I you know, I, I got to give him credit at least for, for cut- not putting all of them I, in. It, you know, it was one of those... Ap- it, see, this is, this is what I mean when I say you can see Judd Apatow's uh, hand in... Uh, it, it, like, like, you could see how strongly he's resonated and reverberated throughout the Comita community because this is just something right out of an Apatow movie. Oh, and and it's and it's another example of another example of Hollywood taking the wrong lesson from film. Exactly, so. I, right? Because I always have to preface this by saying I fucking love Jed Apatow, um, but this is them taking his comedic style uh, without really his sense of uh, I, I, without really being able to bring out the best of a, of improving characters. I think because uh, he he really has a talent for that of, of really using improv well, um, and uh, Hollywood seeing that and taking that and just letting scenes run loose um, without really any inspiration behind it and, um, and I, I just watched a movie uh, in theaters this year that i, I regret doing which was uh, uh how to be single um oh did yeah. you did, did you see the trailer for how to be single you know what i did i didn't i, well, I the, might have but i forgot about it and the trailer for how to be single they're in a they're in a spa and she she's and rebel wilson is is criticizing dakota johnson's uh vagina and specifically vulva um being being too hairy um and there's just a bunch of just rattled off comparisons, you know. You, look, it, it's like Gandalf down there, you know, um, uh, etc. Et and they were, and they were literally all in the the movie in that exact way. And in the movie, you could actually see the how detached these segments were, and how they were just like, okay, cut, say a new joke. Okay, cut, say a new joke. You know, they weren't. It wasn't a, a flowing scene where she just said this all in one take. That you could actually see the individual takes happen. It was it was lazy and it was awful, and I was really worried that Deadpool would be the same. And I was actually, you know, despite the fact that they used two of the jokes that were in the trailer, it actually came off as 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 pretty pretty. It, it didn't. It didn't make me as angry, and it actually pleasantly surprised no. me. Yeah, it, so. I, I was fine with it in the context of the film. Uh, you know what pisses me off the most about those pseudo improv jokes is that they're all clearly written. Exactly, yeah. They're all very clearly scripted, um, but d- d- written to sound loose and spontaneous. Uh, and and God, I hate that. I, I, it's 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 so heavy. It, it, it's just it, God. It, I don't know. It's it's. Taking the worst lesson from Jed Apatow, I don't know. Anyway, um, anyway, that was the longest aside ever. Well, uh, relating to that to Deadpool, I think it, uh, I was really worried it was going to be that way, but it, and my overall take is that it it, it wasn't. So that's that's right. a good thing. Right. Hold on, I just got to finish up the, the the plot synopsis because otherwise it's like a sneeze I never finished. So <laughs> so now now uh, Wade Wilson as Deadpool is trying to track down uh, the man who uh, was overseeing him in the laboratory who uh, it, it wants to go by the name Ajax, but who is really named Francis. Uh, and uh, he teams up with a ragtag a group of two different X-Men mutants, the two that they were actually uh, able to license in Deadpool, as he tactfully points out, uh, and uh, get his girl back. Uh, and that is that is Deadpool. That is the plot of Deadpool, man. And I, I gotta say, I fucking died when, when he pointed out that Ajax is from Dish Soap. 
<laughs> that was one of the loudest laughs in my theater, and I I was joining them on that. It was. So I cool. was worried too that it was just because personally, I I worked at a, I worked stocking at a grocery store, and I I put a lot of Ajax um, dish soap <laughs> on the shelf. So I, as soon as he said that, I was like, oh my fucking god, he's right. <laughs> What's great is that no one like, you don't think about it at first, even though everyone has fucking used Ajax soap. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God, no! That was that was a uh, that was a moment of, of pure inspiration. <laughs> That's pretty great. So let me just let me just get this off my chest real quick, um, uh-huh. because this is I mean this is really the the core moment of this review. Really, I, I can say whatever I want about the rest of it, but what it really boils down to is how wrong was I about Ryan Reynolds, um, and I don't think that there's enough salt and pepper in the world to make uh, the words that I said palatable. Uh, Ryan Reynolds was born to play Deadpool. No, that, yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. I, you fuck, know, I remember you were saying like it. Ryan, no, Ryan Reynolds no. is going to ruin Deadpool and then we're all going to, nope, like, I was wrong. about it. Yeah. I, I was wrong. I, I, this is, this does not mean, this does not mean I am fully on board with the movie. But it doesn't... And it doesn't even honestly, from from what you're saying and from what an easy argument to be made, that it, it doesn't even mean you're fully on board with Ryan Reynolds. You know, it's as like an actor, as an actor, no. Uh, it's like, are you fully on board with George Clooney just because he was in in? Am know, I am good... I on board with George Clooney because the Coens know how to use him? No. Am I on board with Ryan Reynolds just because Deadpool is fucking the best role ever for him? No. But I take back everything I said about how he was going to ruin Deadpool. Yeah, no, I take that... it back. I was wrong. I was I was wrong. No, it's it takes it takes a big man. I I was I was worried you were gonna um, nope. stick stick to your guns. Nope. And... I have I have I, I have critical things about the movie to say. I I have not one negative criticism of his performance. Not one. Great. Yeah. Not one. No, he he was he was pretty great. This is this is exactly his role. Um, yeah. I mean, just some someone who can make these kind of jokes and be serious with it. But he he also does you know. And I want to talk to you about this. He, he does. He does have some. What what made the role for me is that he does he does have some moments where he he could just stick to this you know serious moments where he could just stick to this uh, smug jokester who's just gonna laugh in the face of like every possible thing you could throw at him. And there's a few moments where he just avoids making it he avoids making a joke like he's actually upset he's actually sad you know things like that so uh, I, I don't know if you noticed those or particularly latched onto them um but that for me made the character less one-dimensional um because before that i was worried that okay anyone can kind of do what ryan Reynolds was doing right now and and maybe you could still make that but uh make that claim but I didn't, and those little no, moments helped me I, out. So. I, no, I, I do think that there's you do get this almost the sense of uh, his his humor to his like honestly after being exposed to it for a certain period of time. I mean, I mean right away you're like just super on board with it. It's entertaining. It's funny. You're having a great time listening to it, and after a while you do really get the sense of of his humor as a detach almost like a nihilistic detachment mechanism um, to to relieve any sort of you know tension or seriousness that any thing could possibly have, and almost this like underlying status of his character. Um, but the you know that's maybe reading a bit too seriously into this role. Uh, it's true, I, I, yeah. I, honestly, honestly, what I really responded to, and this is maybe just the, the, the simplest thing, but um, I 
like the fact that despite the you know Ryan Reynolds having something on his face for about eighty percent of this movie, whether it be heavy prosthetics or in most cases a mask, uh, I could always tell what his face looked. Like. I could always tell what face <laughs> he was making. I could always tell what his expression was. I could always tell uh, what he was doing as an actor. Um, you know, it's minor CGI tweaking of the mask notwithstanding, I think that that's really uh, a testament to his to his immersion in this role. It, you know, none of it was... None of it was insincere or put on or aping or any kind of... Uh, it wasn't false, you know? That, that, that That's... It, I think it just really comes down to that. Yeah. Uh, it was... It was genuine to the point where you could hear it in every single infliction and intonation of his voice. Um, because, honestly, that's that's what's doing most of the acting here. Uh, he's, like I said, he's he's got his actual expression obscured most of the movie. So the fact that it still felt as vivid as it did, I think, is a strong testament to his character. Mm-hmm. And, and too, because I wouldn't even be surprised, and, I'm, and I know some of this for a fact, that uh, uh, some of his lines stated under mask are, are ADR, you know, they're dubbed over. Of course. Um, yeah. So, and you know, I, I know some of it for a fact because I, you know, you can see the differences between the, um, the red band trailer and the, the regular trailer, you know, where he says, yeah. right or in the movie, he says, you know, I'm touching myself tonight. And the other, and the, the PG trailer or whatever he says, like, I'm very turned on right now. Um, and that's the sort of thing that like, he has to, it's almost like a, a talented voice acting role. Uh, Ryan Reynolds. Well, did you know, it, it, yeah, that doesn't, I mean, that's obviously true. It's kind of the same thing that ethereally somehow mysteriously worked about Scarlett Johansson and her, you know, there's like, it, you, you feel her presence there, even though she's, you know, it, it, in fact, the whole film, Joaquin Phoenix is actually responding to a completely different woman's voice. <laughs> yeah. which is the most crazy thing ever like somehow somehow you completely ADR it you replace uh, Samantha Martinson with uh, Samantha Martin with Scarlett Johansson completely and you still get this connection between these two people I don't know how that happened same same deal here man. I don't, I don't know yeah it's just and it's it speaks sort of to as I said it's like it's, it's a voice acting role because he he has to we are still able to believe him despite the fact that he physically is not doing or doing the things he's saying i don't know if that makes sense but he's not he's not being he's not there in the moment uh, because some of his role some of his lines are dubbed over but he still has to uh still has to well i will bring this up in in buried you know um it, it's fortunate uh, you know his I really liked his his role in Buried, but I have to acknowledge the fact that it was it was easy for him to stay to stay in character and stay in the moment because the film was shot in sequence. You know, right. that, that that gives him a sort of like a sort of natural development that you know you can't really uh, that you, it doesn't require you to tap into anything. Whereas Deadpool, it, it definitely did in those moments. So yeah, yeah, I I. You don't, you don't need to capitulate just, further. That's fine. We don't need to belabor that point. God, I uh, yeah, maybe I should just maybe I should just put my put down the gravestone now. I I was wrong. Um, let's talk about the rest of the film though, because I I do think that everyone has collectively judged themselves over Deadpool so hard that they're maybe blind to some things that uh, kind of did irk me a bit about it. Um, no, and that's true. And 
I, I feel like if I saw this movie in a traditional theater, I might have been along with that. But given the fact that I saw it in a drive-in with only one other person in the car, you know, I couldn't I couldn't get caught up in the reactions of people. You know, midnight oh, yeah. showings midnight showings are always the best fucking movie I've ever seen. So that's just that's just the truth. Um, you know, Dark Knight Rises, Star Wars. You saw that in the theater. You you're head over heels. Of course, um, it's not even fair to do a review of it afterward because you're too. Uh, like honestly you're you're too caught up in like crowd mentality and 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 subjective experience i i i regret saying that phrase because all criticism is subjective experience but it's it's almost like you're reviewing it despite the film you know yeah yeah you're reviewing your experience rather than the film yeah it's 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 an interesting conversation to be had and something you should be aware of um yeah and yeah a lot of people are going pretty nuts over this movie and it's 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 going into hyperbole pretty quickly so um. it is um i mean i think that largely what that comes from is people getting excited at uh a film that's able to kind of dictate basically a film that's people get really excited at self-aware movies and this is i mean this has been happening for fucking decades now um and it's something i've had a very volatile relationship with so you kind of have to draw your own aesthetic boundaries in terms of how you approach postmodernism in cinema because it's 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 been pervasive since fucking you know it's been pervasive since the 60s you know movies that are aware of the conditions in which movies like this are generally made deadpool is super aware of the marvel cinematic universe it's aware of the tons of money that's pumped into superhero films that like they're huge uh just how they're in the cinematic zeitgeist right now um and i i think people get really excited when they see that it it shows uh it shows them that hollywood's in on the joke that uh you know that these these trends and these cliches and these conventions and contrivances aren't lost on them um but at the same time what frustrates me is that people kind of see that and take that and say, okay, that's enough. Um, just the simple awareness is worthy of my praise. I, I think that one thing about Deadpool that I was never really able to get over is how, despite calling out almost every single superhero cinematic convention, it does so little to transcend those. Um, and in fact, basically just kind of still uh, follows the exact same trajectory, does all the same tricks. Uh, it, it, doesn't really, the only element in it that kind of spices it up is Wade Wilson's occasional fourth wall breaking in one particular instance, a 16th wall breaking. And, <laughs> uh, and while that's clever and I like it and it's, it's winking without being obnoxious. I, th- that's not really substantive enough for me to, to be as over the moon about this as everyone else's. Well, and, and there's times too where, you know, they break the fourth wall without even really breaking the fourth wall. You know, he has lines, you know, they say like, we're taking you to the professor and he's like, McAvoy or Stewart, these timelines are so confusing. Yeah. Uh, and you know, he's not like saying that to the camera or anything, but it's clearly, or his lot, his, extremely self-aware line where he's like, do you think Ryan Reynolds got this far on, on his superior acting method? Um, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to go that meta, at a certain point, I would really like to see them do more with it. Um, but it, it was just kind of relegated to the one-off, you know, the one-off quip or a, I don't know, some kind of, uh, some kind of, uh, anything that would generate a quick laugh, but there's never anything structurally in the movie that frustrated a typical formula. There was never a, 
uh, I don't know. They they never really, I I think utilized it the way it could be utilized. And I I'm not a big Deadpool reader. I'm kind of wondering how he was treated in the comics in that regard. Um, I know he's a huge fourth wall breaker in the comics as well, but uh, in this one, it just seemed like it, it just kind of seemed cheapened a little bit. Um, well, yeah, I I am worried that this move that. This movie both came out at the perfect time and also at a time where this where the this sort of Deadpool shtick is is just that it's a shtick, mm-hmm. um, and you know I that so on I'm worried I'm worried that I'm not I'm not sure and and I'm not I won't make the claim that it's not but I'm not sure it's it's fair to criticize just because th- this also could just be who Deadpool is and that things since that are sort of riffing off Deadpool and now Deadpool is coming back and I understand trying that. to be itself. And, and I'm not saying I'm making that argument, but there's certainly an argument to be made there. So I understand that. But like, so there's this, there's this essay by David Foster Wallace that I read a while ago about TV culture. And he wrote it in the early nineties. And it was kind of about how television shows and advertising and basically the, like, you know, consumers, popular art was, realizing the trends and the cliches that people were making fun of in popular entertainment and was then using that to convince the audience that, Hey, we're in on the joke. We get it too. We get that this is trite and we're laughing at it just the same as you give us praise for that. And by doing so feed more into this cash cow that we have going on. You know, it was, he pointed to Pepsi commercials that utilized it. He pointed to TV shows and it's like this really cynical postmodernism that only kind of promotes more consumerism and indulgence by simply, you know, pointing out cliches um, and just being self-aware and and that's it. Um, and he kind of viewed that as really uh, almost nihilistic. And I, I I don't want to take it to, you know to the extreme you know to that extreme of Deadpool, but that's I, I think that's maybe a bit of what's going on here. Um, as opposed to something like I mean there there's there are other postmodern ways to treat superheroes. I think Watchmen's a great example of of obviously taking a much higher and more serious concept approach, um, but. In the same way, using this cultural awareness of what superheroes are, what they mean to people, but using that to kind of explore uh, sort of more fundamental questions about them and get at, I, I don't know, get at grander ideas, I guess. And I don't want to, I don't want to say that Deadpool, <laughs> you know, God, God knows Deadpool didn't have to have those kind of pretensions, but I just want, I just bring that up in the sense that I wonder if they could have done more with it. Yeah, and you know, maybe it's one of those things where we. And a weird comparison, but uh, one of the things we talked about with um, uh, Star Wars and that it didn't do a whole lot new, but we're hoping it it, it does. It, I hope, we're hoping it uses this as a as a, as a launch pad, mm-hmm. um, you know, to to explore more of these things that you're talking about. And, you know, I think the potential is obviously a lot greater in Star Wars mm-hmm. than it is here. Yeah. But um, and also, I want to point out that talking during the movie now has the distinction, I'm sure, of being the only film podcast to to bring up david foster wallace while while reviewing deadpool so uh there's that <laughs> i wanted to bring it in as a conversation about postmodernism because i think that deadpool pit i think that deadpool fits very neatly into that kind of tradition and i, and I think it's 
I think it's been happening a lot in movies. It happened in the new wave. It's happening even more now uh, in the wake of Tarantino. You know, mm-hmm. m- movies that are aware of being movies. Um, no, look, look still you're, seem... you're you're dead on. I'm just <laughs> uh, people see people just seem to still seem to get really excited every single time that this happens without really considering. Because there there are a lot of different approaches you can take with like postmodernism and post-structuralism. Um, so I, I think that there needs to be more conversation in terms of what like how this film is approaching it and what it's saying about the the artistic structure in which it's being made. Um, with Deadpool, it doesn't it, it it's obviously funny. It's it's dead on and it's critiques you know the 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 opening credit sequence was a masterpiece in and of itself um yeah it made me wonder if uh it made me wonder if the produce if uh the producers are gonna get fined by the director's guild (laughs) god i you know what that's a very strong possibility actually and if yeah because remember that happened with uh empire that did oh yeah george lucas had to resign from it actually so and maybe the director's not in the guild i think that may have well i'm i'm certain that's possible because he's nobody uh is, yeah pretty much um and that's actually another thing there's not really a strong directorial presence in deadpool as far as i'm concerned um no no this is a this is a, a cardboard cutout director if, if i've ever seen one right and um, that's kind of what but you know like okay so maybe even a more relevant example to bring up with uh or to bring up in regards to like you know you know, self-aware modern superhero films is James Gunn and Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, as someone who just posted on Facebook about it, um, I feel like it, Guardians of the Galaxy is also aware of the tradition that it exists in, and uh, obviously does a lot to kind of subvert our expectations. It introduces pop songs, you know, into this you know arcane alien universe. You know, we're not used to seeing that, but at the heart of it, there's, like, kind of this exuberance and love for the source material, whereas, like, Deadpool's almost, like, slyly smirking at it and making fun of it, while at the same time following the exact same trajectory, and it's... And, and no, and in that uh, respect, it's pretty hip- hypocritical. No, the, the yeah. film, definitely, it culminates well, it's, in, it's like, this... It, it is, yeah, cynical is probably a better word for it, but no, it, it culminates in uh, Ajax, Francis, kidnaps the hero's girlfriend... Uh, and they have a huge showdown, mm-hmm. um, very grandiose showdown with lots of special effects. Probably all their budget went to that one scene, uh-huh. um, you know, with explosions and turmoil. They actually had very like they had like no budget for this movie, which is actually I have to give it credit. It, it, some of the sequences looked fairly impressive for how little money they had to work with. Yeah, but yeah, it, it was pretty i mean it was kind of autopilot from that point on with you know despite the occasional quip from deadpool it was it, it was pretty cookie cutter um and also i i just have to say one thing really quick uh, i thought that his the love interest vanessa um marina buckerin's character uh, i thought that was a complete waste to be honest i i was really disappointed with how they handled that character and i i i was you know, unsure how to feel about her at first. And the, the line that sunk it for me was when they were, you know, obviously they do a lot of fucking. Um, and after one of them, uh, he, uh, Wade Wilson makes some kind of comment about, you know, getting on her back like Yoda and Star Wars. And she just turns around and says, that's from Empire. And he just goes, wow, you're, it's like you were made for me. And I'm just like, oh, a bunch of fucking, a bunch of fucking dudes wrote her. Like, no, it's, it's very true. It, this it's, is a <laughs> this is this is just a a bunch of fucking nerds 
fantasy woman and not really much more. Um. No, you're 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 right. You're right. And you know, even they, it's it's something to be said um, that the movie treats her the same way that that Deadpool treats you know that wade wilson treats her yeah um and it's like it's 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 sort of it's like least self-aware moment like in an otherwise self-aware movie you're not realizing that your movie about someone who like pretty much unjustly throws his girlfriend to the side also throws her to the side yeah you know and she only has like one moment where she gets to be really mad at him about that where she where she's finds out that he's still alive like and she's like you well, and asshole it's at, and, and it's, it's at like, the okay. moment where the beat it's at the moment where the uh the emotional beat isn't really like like he just defeated the bad guy you know it's, it's it's all over it's the it's the coming down off of the the dramatic climax and you know you're not going to take any it's not the moment for like a real heartfelt you know, emotional comeuppance or reckoning. It's it's like the resolution. You know, it's like this is him getting the girl, and you're never really. In di- I don't know. It, it's if it was aware of her role as a trope in this superhero movie, it doesn't do anything to challenge it or subvert it or throw it off. Um, and that's like a microcosm for the your entire criticism. And yeah, kind of. Most and, of mine for the the movie itself. That's kind of where it came off the most to me, and I was just really disappointed. I thought they could have done a lot more. Um, particularly with that actress, because she's done phenomenal work in the past. I really think she brings a lot of spirit to the role she takes. Um, and honestly, she, she I mean, I got a sense that she was very sincere in this role. I, I don't like how the movie views her or uses her. I, it, I To me, that was uh, kind of inexcusable in a superhero film that's supposed to be entirely about self-awareness. Um yeah, no, that's that's pretty much the point about it. So yeah, you know, there's definitely that, and then how it how it climaxes, um, which would be a dirty joke in this movie, but in this podcast, yeah, I know, so, I, I realized uh, that as I said it, but I didn't want to, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, movie climaxes very conventionally, and it also you know does away with characters like like Vanessa Carlisle. So um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I. I I do think that there's a very uh, high potential for this character in the future. I mean, I'm I'm interested in seeing Deadpool too. Um, yeah, no, I I will be too. This, you know, I, I think that they could, you know, I think that they could expand off it really well. I kind of hope they get a better director. To be honest, I, <laughs> I, I Tim Miller's a nobody, and I I kind of I don't I don't feel like I've made any kind of discovery here. Man, can you fucking imagine like J.J. Abrams taking on Deadpool too? <laughs> God. um i mean the thing is you know who i would love to take on deadpool 2 is edgar wright oh yeah um it's interesting because tim miller apparently worked as a special effects advisor on or a visual effects uh uh supervisor on scott pilgrim versus the world and i just kind of wish i just kind of wish that he had been able to pick up more visual more visual language from Edgar Wright, who was just so good at, at both visual comedy and just, and honestly, just visual arrangement, like beautiful, just mise en scène in front of the camera, uh, ed- edits right when he needs to. It's it, like everything just kind of, he's able to manipulate every element of cinema to maximize the impact of a joke. Uh, whereas I think Tim Miller really heavily relied on the script in this. Um, there wasn't really much visually distinctive about the movie. Uh, 
you know, and that really, I mean, the, the fight sequences, I would say, are well choreographed, and they're not entirely disorientingly shot, um, but there's also nothing really special about them. There's really nothing special about the, you know, you know, purely dialogue sequences, except occasionally the dialogue. Um, so I, I would have, I, I was kind of missing more of a, a, a more pronounced presence in that category as well. It, it is something we said, and not really, uh, not really a positive for for the director, but that a first time director and a no name cinematographer can shoot an action scene uh, better and more coherently than Michael Bay. You all really, really can. Um, it, I have to say, it was really. I was pretty impressed at how non disorienting it was. Yeah, no, I was able to follow them pretty well. Like, I, wasn't, I, I, don't, really, think was, really. I don't think they were quite as principled as something like Fury Road. Uh, which, Good God, no! <laughs> which, which I think those sequences can be shown in fucking film classes. Well, uh, yeah, they, they didn't juggle <laughs> nearly as many moving parts, and that's what's mo- most impressive about uh, Fury yeah. Road's editing and cinematography, is that you have, like, at any time, 20 different set pieces, you know, in, in, in one... In one or shot. You'll, or you'll even see between cuts, they'll keep the moving element in the same area on the screen so that the audience doesn't get this. It, like, even though you're cutting, um, like, it doesn't follow a straight line. If you keep the moving element at the same part of the screen, the audience will be less disoriented than if you were to do it any other way. Um, and they follow that principle to a T on Fear Road. It was beautiful. Um, nothing that complex or, or technical here, but uh, I, I have no basis to complain. It was generally... Uh, pretty well edited well executed in, in regards to action i just like i say he, he's kind of he's kind of vanilla you know it, it's just not it's just not any kind of uh strong you know directorial presence that i felt but you know he's not the you know he he's not proving himself to be any kind of corporate shill in this one like colin trevorrow did in jurassic world so there's there's that um, yeah <laughs> thank you yeah. Uh, God. Yeah. No. Just to just as a final point to bring back to Star Wars because you had mentioned that you know Star Wars also kind of recycled a lot of elements. The thing about that I I responded to so well just in general about Star Wars is that it's it's almost like the anti uh, anti meta movie or the anti postmodern movie. It's it, Star Wars is like classic traditionalist storytelling. That incorporates, you know, it's it's embodies the monomyth. It's every single archetype from Western from the Western canon, uh, repackaged and retold as a new, you know, space fantasy story. Um, and the fact that so, so the fact honestly that that's why the the really the only serious criticism I heard of the Force Awakens is that, uh, you know, it recycles too many elements from A New Hope. Um, and my my own view on that is, you know what? It's it takes it does what the original Star Wars did with the monomyth. It takes elements from it, repackages them, makes they imbues them with new life, puts new faces to them, makes it feel fresh, and gives you a new starting off point to to jump into a brand new world. Um, it was a bit dependent on it, but to me, it still remains so true to the nature of what Star Wars is, and I kind of appreciate the innocence of what Star Wars is. Um, with Deadpool, I think it, it sacrifices any kind of innocence it has for its <laughs> for its uh, you know for its self awareness, uh, which is fine. Uh, like I said, I just wish it had. Yeah, it's just I've never, and this is this is now twice. I've never had 
I've never felt like my opinion on the first installment in in a series is so is going to be so dependent on the second installment in that series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, because like if if Deadpool two, if De- Deadpool, Deadpool you said that, you two, said that, you said that like uh, uh, you said that like uh, oh my god, I said it like a Colossus. fucking moron. Said, you said it like Colossus in this. Oh, movie, who has the most bizarrely like he had a very it, it was like an SNL accent. If Deadpool two is uh, <laughs> Deadpool two is great. Uh, no, if De- Deadpool two two is more the same, then I'm gonna have a lot l- less of opinion on Deadpool uh, by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the same same thing with Star Wars Episode eight. If if it's just a repackaged uh, Empire Strikes Back, I'm gonna be pretty disappointed uh, in the whole in the series as a whole because yeah. you wasted all that potential from the from the Episode seven. So that's true. I will too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you know, I just want to reiterate uh, and reclarify your your opinion. You know, you you did say that Ryan Reynolds was born to play Deadpool, but this yes. this movie did or did not. Um, but did this movie um, increase your opinion on Ryan Reynolds himself any or at all? Yes, it did. Oh, yes, okay, it did. Oh. Okay, I did. I I. I... Not in, honestly, and this is this is maybe showing my hand a bit. Not as much as the film we're about to talk about, uh, but but you know you beat it, me to it because I was going to use that as a segue. It, so I know, I know. Just 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 let me say this: it showed me that Ryan. It, here's here's what both films showed me: it showed me that Ryan Reynolds could could act sincerely in some way. He could mean what he says when he acts. I have never seen that from him before. He's always playing smug. He's playing, uh, you know, like like someone who knows he's good looking but doesn't give a fuck, and he just he doesn't want to be there. But he, like, I don't know. I I always get this like annoying douchey winking from him that I just want to punch right in the fucking face. And, <laughs> and uh, the fact that he was able to convince me that he sincerely wanted to be there in Deadpool. Uh, and didn't want to go home was just a a huge leap for me. So yes, yes he did. Okay, so yeah, we can definitely move on to to buried. Uh, I've been trying to get Mike to see this see this film uh, for a while. Yep, this is your purely because I think it it does show a different side uh, of Ryan Reynolds, a more a more capable side of, of Ryan Reynolds, um, and that that's mostly what I what I want to praise about it because and we'll talk about this. I do have some some problems with the with the movie itself um but uh i i really like it as because i'm 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 happy with any movie that can challenge the narrative on a on a particular actor you know anyone who's seen punch drunk love can tell you that uh god that adam sandler has a lot more a lot more talent than he's willing to even tap into i mean i I think Uh, it's i think it's legend how much paul thomas anderson was able to get out of him um especially given the work he's done, honestly before, but especially since, honestly before, but especially since then. Uh, yeah, and these are the kind of movies that I find like most exciting. It's like, oh wait, you're telling me that this actor who can only, who I think believe can only do one thing, can actually do something else, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's why I thought, and I, I thought that you know, this was not, this was my opinion, not really having seen Deadpool, but I was like, if any, if any Ryan Reynolds movie 
can can make can make Mike think, uh, just just question what what he thinks on on Ryan Reynolds. It's gonna be buried. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, can I just say this much? I feel like in the last two days, not even because I just saw Deadpool probably about twenty four hours ago, um, and I saw it buried about three hours ago, <laughs> and uh, or really about two and a half, and I. Like I, I feel like in the last twenty four hours, I have seen Ryan Reynolds give two legitimately perfect performances, um, in the sense that not not that like they're the greatest performances I've ever seen, but just that I I don't conceivably think that they could have been done any better. Like those are they, they were they were explored and acted and felt with as much sincerity as is humanly possible, um, mm-hmm. and and there was no room for improvement. In terms of, in regards to the acting, I'm not, not even not even considering the writing, just how Ryan Reynolds handled the material. I, I don't think it could have been done better. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'll be happy to talk about that more. Um, so, it, so buried is a forgotten favorite from mine, and just to get out of the get out of the way that it, it's forgotten, it's it's one you probably never heard of it. Uh, two, it's by someone who directed this movie and has done nothing else since. Uh, I'm, I'm, at least but, I'm, but by nothing else you mean a, a whole nother feature film and two short films but still no one's ever really no one's ever heard of those or seen them um, yeah um, no it's it's true he did he did a, he did another feature film and is doing more films in in, uh, in the future but uh, um, really nothing that's come to light um, w- the only real notable person in this movie w- at the time and since is is Ryan Reynolds, um, and this well, came out at a time where the the narrative was already sort of well, and especially right after this, I think Ryan Reynolds went on to do uh, Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. So good for him, you know. It's yeah. like he fo- followed up a, a an original good role with just pretty crap. So um, it, it all lends itself to being this, you know, came out in between. Uh, two notable roles for him, the proposal and then, uh, the green lantern. So, um, people aren't really going to talk about this one when they talk about Ryan Reynolds filmography. And, and in my mind, that was a shame. So I wanted to bring this to light. And I, I think, and as, as for the film being, being, uh, shouldn't be forgotten. I think it, it will, we'll get into that. Um, and as I said, I do have some problems with the movie and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about those. It's, it's, it's not, it's not, uh, um, grade A cinema or anything, but uh, mm. um, I, I, it has a lot going for it. Not only just in Ryan Reynolds, and I want to get this out of the way. The I think the the cinematography in this movie, shooting with the limitations that they they created themselves. Granted, uh, created some pretty fantastic moments. So. That that was I actually another thing I really wanted to praise. Uh, maybe we should should you introduce the. Yeah, yeah. So buried is uh, Ryan Reynolds is buried alive. So and just a little bit of what happened is is that he was a uh, civilian truck driver in in Iraq um, who you know he would deliver like supplies and stuff to. I'm trying to think of the right word, but people who need them. Oh. It never really actually. I mean, I, I listened. You never really specified where he delivered supplies. It was just kind of any just any kind of building or organization that needed it. He, he wasn't specific about it. Yeah, and th- there's a lot that's not specific in this, but yeah, and then he his truck gets hit uh, by by an IED 
and then he wakes up uh, buried underground with um, a cell phone and a Zippo lighter. Um, and that, that's that's what he has. So, And then he soon gets a call, uh, a ransom call saying, you know, you know, you're going to... Give, give us a ransom of uh, $5 million by tonight, or uh, we're, you're going to be left to die. Mm-hmm. So that's and, the movie, and now you can go on. And, and he, oh, and great, and he spends a lot of time calling people. Um, I I was impressed, because going into this, uh, my number one concern, kind of why I didn't want to watch it, it wasn't even Ryan Reynolds, believe it or not, because I had just <laughs> seen Deadpool. I'm like, okay, maybe he really can prove himself, but and he did. Um but I'm just like, okay, this movie is an hour and a half long, and I know, I, I know that they don't leave the coffin. Like we don't leave this the confines of these, literally these six walls. Yeah, yeah. He and calls people, but you never see it from their perspective. It's you never see it from their perspective. From it's him. it's just from his perspective. <laughs> and my number one concern was, how the fuck am I gonna look at this for an hour and a half and be entertained? How is how is how is there going to be enough visual interest that they can keep filming the inside of this coffin? And I I won't want to just close my eyes and listen to this like an audiobook. And I I have to say they got around that pretty creatively, um, just in, in regards to particular shots that I still remember. Uh, some a certain instances of rapid cutting, um, brilliant use of lighting. Uh, in many instances, where like they'll, because you can, you know, with so few elements to work with, you can, you have one or two light sources, tops in a shot, and you can pull them in and out as you need them, uh, you know, to really great effect. Um, and I have to say, while it's not not the most visually stimulating film I've ever seen, it, I, I think it was really impressive what they were able to do just with the confines of this coffin. Even at one point, there's a great shot where, um, and they, you know, they can obviously play with, they, they play with expressionism a bit. It's, uh, uh there are a lot of, uh, overhead shots of Ryan Reynolds. And this one, this was one just at a particular moment of desperation from him. And it just kind of keeps panning up or not panning. It pulls back slowly up. Um, it was, they, they did a similar shot on breaking bad once. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but the walls, you could just see the walls, uh, on, the sides of the coffin and they just keep rising up and up and there's no conceivable way that the coffin's actually this tall. No, uh, and you you know it's not because you see the first shot of the movie is showing <laughs> well the first shot from his perspective after he gets light is showing how that there's you know the roof of the coffin is right above his head. So. Right. Right. Um and actually I think they I do actually think they play with the dimensions of the coffin a little bit uh throughout the film depending on his state of mind. Uh but in particular in that shot, it looks really cool. And I I, I was just surprised at some moments. They, they would, like, pan around the entire coffin at, at certain bits. Um, they, they'd cut really close to Ryan Reynolds' face. So I, I you know... It, no, this it, movie does claustrophobia really well. It does, um, it does. I, I was, I mean, that was another bravura point of it for me. Um, that I uh, honestly exceed my expectations in how, I, how effective I thought it could be. Um... So so bravo to that uh, to that as well. Um, I think the the point where I start kind of lo- the, the movie starts losing me, uh, and this was espoused both by some critics and by the director himself, is this element of quote unquote Hitchcockian suspense. Um, because uh, th- there's one review; it's even said on the poster. 
Uh, I mean, it's from Access Hollywood, so, you know, take that <laughs> to, as you want. But it says, you know, it, it calls it a brilliantly twisted suspense thriller that would have made Alfred Hitchcock proud. Um, and I, I mean, this is, this is... Well, I'm, I'm not surprised that Hitchcocky in suspense in the slightest. No, it's not even honestly not even that suspenseful. The 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 whole thing about this movie is that it's it's darkly nihilist, and nihilism is anything but suspenseful. Well, you know the thing is, I I know what you're saying, and I I kind of wish it was more darkly nihilist. It, it is, I think, fundamentally, but it'll have moments where it introduces a new immediate element of tension or drama. And to me, those were not Hitchcockian. And I think that's what the reviews were referring to. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. No, they, and, 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 and I... they seemed like crazy to me. And this is where like, it was really like, I, 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 in certain elements, I felt like I was in masterful hands and in others. I felt like it was a to- like a total novice game. And, and, uh, and I think, I think one of the main thing that I, I know of is, and I know you're going to bring it up is the, the, the snake in the coffin. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, what uh, the fuck was that? <laughs> no, and, and that's one of those things. It's it's really trying to introduce this drama where it's really it's not neat. Like you're buried alive in a fucking coffin. There's drama I, here, I, right? Uh, I honestly thought it was going to be a dream or something or symbolic. I mean, it probably was supposed to be symbolic, but that's really heavy-handed symbolism. I like. <laughs> I, I, what the fuck was it? Just did he not notice it? I don't. Well, no, it, like, crawled into a, through a hole is the implication, you know, the same way, Wait, you know, he plugs the but hole. It came, but it comes out of his clothes. Oh, I didn't think it did. I thought it was just, what? uh... You see it going through, like, his pant leg, and then it comes out at the end. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it was there. I think he was just, like, sleeping or something, and it, like, crawls in. Um, regardless, it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense, no, no matter, no matter really, what you No. And, 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 yeah, it's, it's just, it's... It's it's a kind of a cheap cheap thing to do. Um, yeah, it does take away from my, the. I think that's my main point. Beyond like, I mean, I don't want to get into like, well, that couldn't really happen. I'm like, yeah. I mean, the thing is, you could just make that happen, but that's not that's not Hitchcock in suspense. Hitchcock would introduce things just blasé at the beginning of a film or, or say, you know, give a character a certain uh, trait that is kind of innocuous at one point, but then play, use that line later to play into the drama or to affect it in some way. Um, and, and the main inspiration behind Buried, uh, the director said was Hitchcock's rope, uh, which does this really well. It interviews, uh, you know, several different characters uh, within seemingly one shot uh, in one location inside of an apartment where a murder has just been committed, despite you know the fact that the guests aren't aware that it, someone was murdered, um, and it it plays with those strings really well. But I, there's nothing, nothing is really arbitrarily introduced to artificially generate more suspense. It part of the credit of that film is just the fact that it's able to keep all how it kind of sets its rules up from the beginning and it plays those like a piano throughout to create its tension. It doesn't never, it, it never cheats. Um, and I feel like Barry had several moments where it, it, the, the drama was artificial. It felt cheap. It felt uh, like you didn't need it. Like, like well, the, you could have made it an hour, gotten rid of some of that extra stuff. And just the nihilism would have been effective enough to communicate what the director wanted to say. Well, and and I, I will say like too, the film like it almost knows that what it's doing with the with the snake especially is is stupid because like it created more drama out of whether or not he could like 
flip around in in you know the coffin exactly actually, like, i was it, like that was stressful and like and oh I my was, god and then I like it, they, more, they put a time limit on it with getting right. the phone i was more like, tense about that stuff than i was about the fucking stupid snake and also and this is just a dumb uh a trifle but when did the water become lighter fluid or gasoline or whatever the fuck it was oh i thought it was alcohol or oh God, yeah. idiot. I knew I was missing something. Okay, all right. <laughs> I thought it was just water at first because he used to take his pills. Uh, but, you know, I, I think... Then it started igniting, and I'm like, wait, it's gasoline? I don't know why I ever... Why was he drinking gasoline? <laughs> God, I'm an idiot. Okay. That's fine. Um, but the, the 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 darkly nihilist part of this movie, and just think about it from perspective, this is by, I believe, a, a Spanish filmmaker. It is. Um, yes. It, it is a Spanish filmmaker, and it's an entire commentary on American American policy and you know war policy and American bureaucracy. Um, so it, it's very much like outside looking in, and when you're in the outside looking in, it's easy to take a very pessimistic look. And whether or not you know that's as accurate or not is one thing or another. But yeah, yeah. Um, this film takes a very very pessimistic, very nihilistic look on on uh, on that that sort of thing, and on do you care about one person? That's that's the ultimate question that does the system you created, the system that you operated in, care about one person, care about an individual. Yep. Um and, you know, his obvious obviously his view is that no no it fucking doesn't. Um Yeah, and, and, and the ways that that's represented through different characters, I love how much it ranges though. It's not just like one faceless machine he's dealing with. I mean like it's kind of a spectrum. It's anywhere from uh, Alan Davenport, who's played by Stephen Tobolowsky, uh, better known as Ned the Head Ryerson from Groundhog Day, <laughs> um, who is who's maybe the single most heartless character I've ever <laughs> seen in a film. <laughs> At least, even in especially in regards to a bureaucracy, uh, like I, I honestly think he's worse than anything in Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Like, what a heartless man! Um, but it ranges anywhere from him to. Uh, the main uh, the main character Ryan Reynolds interacts with David or Dan Brenner, uh, who is basically in charge of a an organization uh, exclusively to uh, meant to rescue hostages. Um, and one of the big the thing is, I I never doubt uh, for a second, and this is open to interpretation, mind you, but I never doubt for a second that Dan Brenner does sincerely wants to rescue Paul Conroy, Ryan, Ryan Williams' character, um, mm-hmm. but is aware of the unlikelihood of that happening. Um, and the, the fact that he's con- the, the fact that he has to constantly reassure Ryan Reynolds that 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 is a priority for him, that that is what uh, that he does matter to this organization, that they do want to rescue him. Uh, like, whether or not you can trust what he says is enough of an element of suspense throughout the film, and then it honestly just made the ending, the the last five minutes of the film, just an absolute gut punch. And I will say this much: like the the whole movie to me, uh, flaws and all, was worth it for that that end. Uh, is it the, last, the ending where you? The, the yeah. oh yeah, yeah. The last the 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 final. I mean, I knew. So the thing is, I I could tell that. They weren't going to. I can spoil this, right? 
Yeah, yeah, we're going to get into spoiler territory in this movie. We hope if okay, you are great. listening to this segment, okay, you've, you've heard, watched great. the movie. So, but, yeah. so essentially what happens is uh, just when all hope is lost, uh, even even Dan Brennan, uh, Brenner himself has basically told Paul, look, we're, we're not, not going yeah. to find you. Just, I'm, I'm sorry. It, it's not going to happen. And all hope is gone. You know, this, the thing that he's been trying to keep alive in Paul, and I, I believe sincerely, and I, I, if you disagree... Uh, that that's a completely legitimate interpretation as well, um, but that no, it, it, it's not going to happen, um, and all hope's lost. And then suddenly he receives a call from Dan saying, "We've found, uh, we're on our way right now. We'll be there in three minutes. We found a guy uh, who told us he knew where an American was buried. We'll be there as soon as possible." And like I'm like, okay, th- there's no way. It's not. It's not going to be where he's actually buried. It's going to be someone else. And it is. That is what happens. And that wasn't that wasn't the part that was the sucker punch. It's the fact that the they dig up the person who's buried uh and it's it's somebody who Dan had previously told Paul they had rescued three yeah. weeks ago and who is currently at home with his family and as proof that this organization is occasionally successful and sometimes saves people and does care. Um, and it's revealed. I, I, I mean, there, there are people's interpretations of it, but to me, it's pretty blatant that he lied to give Paul hope. Um, no, he did. And, and not only to give Paul hope, it's, it's sort of like he, and well, that, that he get, lied to give him hope just showed that really showed uh, Dan Brenner's opinion of the organization he works for. As you're saying that he, they really want to help people, but it just doesn't happen often. It's so just disheartening yeah. to him right. that it doesn't. So he, it is like he couldn't even bring himself to say that Mark White was wasn't alive anymore because he didn't want to believe. He couldn't even he couldn't even come up with another name. He had to pretend that he had actually like th- this was a real person. This was an actual an a- actual hostage victim, and he had to pretend this particular person was still alive. He couldn't he couldn't come up with someone randomly. That I think I think that speaks volumes. And that's like kind of one of those things. And I why I, I pre, like that's why this film is ultimately a mixed bag. But the the stuff that's pulled off is so fucking masterful because it pulled a whole character off of this little tiny detail. Oh, yeah. And not just on him, with with uh, Ryan Reynolds as Paul Conroy, um, he was, like, they... I was worried, too, when I first watched this movie because they... Not not too early on. Um, I think it's about, like, 20, 30 minutes through, you know, they, they say that, you know, Paul Conroy says, you know, I have anxiety. Yeah, you know, and, right. and you know, I take I take pills for it. That's you know, that's what you were talking about the pills he has to take. Yep, um, yep. Yes, earlier in the movie, and that's such an easy thing to just be like, okay, I have anxiety. But then to actually like double down and and make me believe that he is a generally anxious person, um, as opposed to you know just someone in a stressful situation. You know, the way he like uh, will will hyperventilate. Yeah, and, and right. just and just not and clearly be not thinking right, you know, he'll be, acting without he'll it. be confrontational with people on the phone that tends to end in them hanging up when it really doesn't need to. Yeah. Well, and, th- and there's a time too, which, uh, where he was like, where someone, someone addressed him. It's this weird, like anxious paranoia where someone addressed him by Paul Conroy. He's like, wait, 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 how do you know my name? <laughs> yeah, right. It, it, the thing is, I thought that was like, I, I, the, the way the movie plays that, I thought it was going to like, 
lead into a conspiracy plot, and I'm like, wait, what? what? Yeah, no, <laughs> and does, then you realize that's doesn't... just like the state of his of mind at the time. Right, that he doesn't know who to trust. He doesn't he doesn't know what's going on exactly. at any level. Yeah, and, and pretty much the only person on the phone uh, who cares about him is Dan Brenner. Everyone else could give a fuck. Uh, it's true. It's true, uh, except maybe his wife, who he does finally get in contact with. Oh, yeah, I forget that he um, does get in contact with. By the way, who I, I just really quick, because I don't know if I'm going to be able to fit this in later, uh, is she's only ever a voice. Uh, she is the worst actress in this movie by a fucking long shot. And <laughs> No, it was weird. I didn't, like, like her talking to him... It, it was it was so strange because he was doing such a brilliant convincing job and it just kind of seemed like it, I don't know it, it's like they were communicating through different through different hemispheres of talent it was, it was bizarre I don't know she was she was terrible I don't know why it, it took it took me out of a very tense moment and and, and that's sad because it is as you said a very very tense moment it's like right at the end it, it's where, it's and, it's in that like bravura and it adds to the stress too because he's that's when he gets the call from from Brenner. From mm-hmm. from Dan Brenner yep. is like after yep. he's contact after he's contacting his wife he's like wait wait, wait I gotta go I gotta go mm-hmm. uh, so it becomes this like what and then yeah you realize that not only is he not gonna get out of there but no one's gotten out of there so um, it it just plays in that whole thing where you know this is this is his view on on American war policy American foreign policy and American bureaucracy and that under all of this people get buried uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know, um, it's it's interesting because that's a pretty acute uh, reading of it uh, and very accurate. But I, I I love how, I mean, for the most part, it's f- not really heavy-handed with that kind of stuff. I mean, you can, no, no, not you, at all. You don't have to take an allegorical approach to this story whatsoever. You can you can treat it at face value, and and that's fine. It's still kind of a relatively interesting concept piece about you know a limited location in a similar way that Locke is. Um, but there is all that subtext there as well, and I think it's actually a pretty rich movie because of it. Um... Yeah, no, there was, and there's more about the cinematography. There's just a few shots I really want to point out. It's just awesome. The the, the original shot, uh, sorry, one of the first shots in the coffin that they actually do like a 360 degree rotation um, or. 180. I'm not sure. Uh, from you know Ryan Reynolds' face and all the, up the length of the the top of the coffin down to his feet. Oh yeah. Um, it just it's again it, it plays with claustrophobia really well. Um, and there was another less subtle one. I mean more subtle one. Um, where most most of the time in this movie the the camera is is moving. Um, you know again you you kind of have to. But there's one particular yeah. time where the camera is still. And Ryan Reynolds' face is obscured, and this is when he's talking to his mom, who clearly has Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, and and that was really effective filmmaking, and you know because again, it's it's the camera's still, so it's it's creating more more intense drama that way, and that his face is obscured at the same time that his mom can't remember who he is 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 telling and brilliant in and of itself so um that that one will stick with me whenever it's i think also, about Barry, it, I think he also kind of has to put on he has to put on a new face when he talks to her too i mean he has to he he tries to like he kind of transforms within that conversation he kind of starts off by being more pragmatic and real with her when she brings up their father he's like i don't i don't think he i don't think that's with you mom um because you know implying his father had died many years before yeah 
and uh, you know she it's not getting through to her. And by the end of the phone call, he just says, "Tell Dad I love. Tell Dad I say hi. I love you." Like he's he's lying to her, uh, not necessarily for her comfort, but just because it's easy, like because that's spiritually easier for him. And to me, that kind of reflects on you know kind of the same thing that Dan is doing to him. Uh, yeah, exactly. There's there's a, even a greater theme of people just lying over the phone. <laughs> yeah, and not not maliciously though. It's not it's it's not out of you know spite or even just a heartless bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Not all the time, at least. Uh, it's it, it's it's almost you know it's it's out of a genuine it's out of genuine compassion. And I think that that's what makes this movie so much more fucking tragic than it needed to be. Um, that's not a criticism. I mean that I guess to say that could have been. Sorry, it needed to be makes it sound like I thought it was gratuitous. It wasn't. Um, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I know. Yeah, um, I just want to make sure it didn't come off as a negative. Um, no, no. I overall, yeah, you 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 said it well. It's it's the film's a mixed bag, but there's just so much there's so much really good stuff in here. No, um, I'm, I'm happy that I can't ignore it, and I look back on it fondly, which is why I want to bring it up. Oh, for, very much so. Our I'm, show. I'm, no, I'm happy you did, and uh, like while I'm not singing its praises to high heavens, I'm. I'm I'm like the stuff that worked for me. I'm I'm just really impressed with how well it was it was executed. I mean, this is a scenario where like every single breath that Ryan Reynolds takes and every single time he turns on the lighter is a moment of suspense because you know it's burning up more oxygen. You know, yeah, no, <laughs> increasing his time. So the the fact that you can get that much tension out of so much minimalism, uh, it, it's it's you know, particularly warrants my praise in those moments, and also uh, makes the bullshit like the snake, or you know, just the, the artificial stuff that doesn't, you know, like like you could like you could throw that in at any time, and it's arbitrary, and it's not, you know, that that's just another thing you're adding on to it. It's not intrinsic. Yeah, that could have been at any point it, in the movie. Right. It's not intrinsic in this scenario you've established. So to me, that's kind of tactless, and it it made those moments all the more sour because of it. Just because of how masterfully the rest of it was handled, um, mm-hmm. this is an and, interesting movie. <laughs> and, and about Ryan Reynolds, I, I really wanted to talk about his uh, why his performance worked. And, yeah. and, and I did bring it up when we were talking about Deadpool that this movie, because why wouldn't you otherwise? Why would you do it otherwise? Was shot in sequence. You know, there, there's no reason to not shoot this movie in sequence. So, so that you know, and we talked about this in the in the Revenant, and that 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 has to help actors because they they get to go through the the progressions naturally of the character yeah um and secondly i think this i think ryan reynolds this had an opportunity to make ryan reynolds do really good because it immediately just been its premise humbled him you know, yeah he you can't be smug when you're buried alive it's very you know, so that's a good point <laughs> yeah um, and that that's what you know you get to see him okay well what can you what can you do with this now are you just going to be you know snarky and on, on the phone with everybody you meet and you know the only time I think I saw that shine through was when he right before he hung up on someone who gave him what he needed he said fuck you fuck. you know that yeah <laughs> and, and that's about it but that that felt like natural that felt like it was well, born out of natural frustration that. rather than smugness well, so. that's what's so cool like okay so I think this performance, even in feature length, had a similar effect on me that, and this may be a maybe a bit too lofty of a comparison, but that the last like the last scene of Captain Phillips had on me as well, mm. uh, in Tom Tom Hanks's performance, where <laughs> yeah yeah every element 
felt so like every quiver of his voice, every breath, every intonation and inflection, it it all felt like it was coming out of like legitimate fear and confusion and frustration. Um, and like, not only is this a movie that puts him in a submissive position where he can't be smug really, but it also puts him in such a, I mean, he can't hide behind anything. He is so close often literally to the camera that like, if there's any insincerity in his face, if he, if he bullshits any emotion or any reaction to anything, uh, we can call him out on it right away because we are, we have front row seats to his, you know, goddamn eyelids. It's <laughs> so it, the, he, like there's nowhere for him to hide. And the fact that he was so able, able so well to consistently convince me of this. Like, I mean, he was the immersion, the immersive element for me in this movie. And it was so effective. I, I never doubted for a second. He was legit. I mean, honestly, I was like, maybe the director just buried him alive and somehow rigged up these intricate camera setups. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, yeah. no, it was, I mean, it was just, genuine acting to an extent that I did not know Ryan Reynolds was capable of. Um, so I guess in terms of tr- a transformative element and how I perceive him, uh, that's where, that, that's where it really, you know, shown for me. Um, and if that was your intention with this forgotten favorite, which it definitely sounds like it was not that there isn't other, there aren't other things to highlight about this film. Um, but if that was your main intention, uh, well done because it, it absolutely succeeded. Yeah, that that was that was the main thing. So I'm I'm really happy we got this. And honestly, like the the only thing, the sad part is that the only thing uh, Deadpool and Buried uh, really are, are going to serve to do is make you that much more upset and disappointed at at the times when he doesn't do this. Well. I, 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 which I predict to be most of his output after this. Um, yeah, ex- well, yeah. I mean, and they were, as I said, right after right after Buried, he goes and you know look, he takes his goodwill geez. and he throws it into Green Lantern. You know, it's enough that I hated him before, but now you have to make me disappointed in him. <laughs> I didn't. I don't do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I'm sorry if that came off with a weird thump. My my mic fell back for a second. Oh no, I I think I think I kind of did, but I can ignore it. Don't worry. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, th- that's the sort of thing when it's the same same thing after after anyone watches after anyone who's seen Adam Sandler movies watches Punch Drunk Love. They're like, well, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like like like, there's no reason. It's like, why so, the fuck did you make the ridiculous six? Why did, why did pixels have to happen? Yeah. Did Adam Sandler do two shitty movies in one year? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they're often making it on... Both making it on bottom lists this year, so... God. Uh, yeah. He is something else. I don't... Just so... It's it's like... He's someone who identifies... Like... so. He, it's not just someone who, like, makes bad movies. He, like... Revels. Knows he just... that he could make good movies and willfully makes bad ones. He willfully revels in his waste. Like, he just... He's... He could be a Harvard graduate, and he knowingly just just bathes in his own excrement. It's, it's, <laughs> it's disgraceful. Yeah. So and yeah, Ryan Reynolds, while not nearly to that extent, he he does make some some bad movies where he isn't required to do anything, and therefore doesn't do anything good. Um, so and movies like Deadpool and Buried are ones to the contrary. So. Um, Great, I'm glad this was uh, was a good choice. I'm glad it worked out well. Yeah, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that last bit one more time? Oh, I was just 
going on and on and i said it was uh, i'm glad that this worked out well oh um, absolutely glad it was a good choice for absolutely. forgotten favorite absolutely yeah. <sighs> yep i do too um and honestly and this is this is weird but both thank you and fuck you for making me watch it <laughs> honestly yeah i'm not i'm not bullshitting here this really is the nicest ryan reynolds movie i've ever i've ever watched and uh uh, the fucking hero I'm gonna be back at no, I can't really <laughs> extend that anymore. But <laughs> wait, what was that a reference to? <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street. Honestly, Jordan, I'm not bullshitting you here. This really oh, is the nicest oh. boat I've ever been on. But <laughs> <laughs> the hero I'm gonna be back at headquarters when we seize this fucking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I got it. I got it. Um, yeah, no, I just couldn't carry it anymore after that part. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm gonna fit. So I'm gonna say this really quick. Um, uh-huh. And you can choose to throw it out or uh, work it in somewhere in the Deadpool conversation. I'm not sure. Or you can leave it right here. I don't care. But it's something I wanted to bring up that I forgot to. Um, and it's that uh, Deadpool, with regards to its R rating, and uh, particularly to how it approaches cursing, did you get the sense a little bit – like I, I kind of got flashbacks to that South Park episode where they could say the word shit for the first time. And so they said it as many times as possible. <laughs> Um, I kind of you know, got that sense with fucking shit, uh, in and how they were, uh, how they were distributed in the screenplay. You know, I'll, uh, that's something I'll have to pay attention to when I inevitably see this movie again. I, I definitely, I, I definitely will, and I probably will soon because I actually there's a lot of my friends who haven't seen it yet, and I didn't use Movie Pass on it, so because um, I went to the drive-in. <laughs> Um, that's something yeah. I'll have to pay attention to more. I can tell you that uh, with the fir- it didn't stick out to me as such in the uh, um, in my first viewing. So okay, yeah, that that really stuck out to me. But I uh, yeah, I didn't bring it up in the review. I just wanted to, I just wanted to mention it now. It's completely uh, I, I I should have probably just let it go. And you can totally scrap this part if you want. But it's just one last observation I wanted to uh, I wanted to impart. No, no, I think it's fine. So great. I don't, don't really have a problem with that. Um, yeah, so next week we are we're doing it, baby. We are doing our best of the year, end of the year superlatives, which is just going to be top ten yep. um, films. So yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I presented James with the idea of doing the witch, which I got really excited about because I looked up there was like, it, yep, it's starting next Thursday here. Um, I can see it. Uh, or sorry, this Thursday, I should say. This Thursday, yeah, I'm gonna be seeing it this Thursday. You don't you? Yeah, I'll, 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 you I'll be there bright and early. Uh, so far, right now, it's the best reviewed film of the year so far. Um, <laughs> That's these, very true. <laughs> these, uh, in these two months, uh, two, one and a half months, I should say. Um, and uh, yeah, I was really excited, and James reminded me that in order to get our top ten list out just before the Oscars, and it would literally be perfect timing. Uh, we need to devote our next show to our year-end lists, uh, a process which James has been undertaking uh, rigorously over the last few days. I haven't even started yet to compile my list, uh, so that's going to be fun. Uh, yeah, no, it's hard. it's awful. It, it sounds like it's going to be fun. You're like, ooh, I get to finally make my top ten list. That, I was so one. excited having yeah. seen having seen 45 years. I'm like, oh yeah, I get to do it. And then I, I looked at my list and I separated into no's and maybes like I said it was. And I got I, I took out 75 movies out of my 115 immediately. I was like, oh man, this is going to be this is going to be easy. And I get down to 40, and I'm like, uh, okay, well. You, uh, 
probably cut this down to 30, then to, then to 20, and I consider that, you know, the 20 my second cut. And then every movie I've had to take off the list has been, like, pulling teeth uh, <laughs> from, the 20, from the 20 films down. So I just don't, I don't want to do it. I don't. I think like every film I take off is I'm making a bad a bad decision. So. You're killing a child. And and then Works. you brought it up. You brought it up a good point. After I whittle it down to ten, I have to then rank them. You have to rank them. <laughs> uh, which and, and Eliza brought up a good point where maybe you should just rank them and then cut it down to ten because then they're ranked. Yeah. You can just then, ten on ten and up, baby. Yeah. No, I'm down to I'm, I'm down to twelve. I'm down to twelve. There you go. Uh, so. so I could do I could do a first to two, one to twelve and then then cut out the other two. So um, I think that's what I'm going to do because that's probably the best thing to do at this point. But it's just so hard. Uh, um, yeah. You know. End up making an effort to not rewatch any of these so I don't get any recency bias going on. Um, Got to be all, constantly on the lookout for recency bias. That's fair. Although I think it also uh, I think it also opens up the possibility of. Uh, like completely revising lists later on down the road when you have to rewatch films and realize you were dead wrong about them. And that's fine. I can be dead wrong. And in fact, we're going to talk about next week in our best of the year of things that we said that were dead wrong. Yep. Um, which, you know, I mean, you could use your, your Ryan Reynolds going to kill Deadpool one again, but you did already say oh, that in this one. You oh, uh, it's, it's going to be one of them. Um, but I have yeah. one that, that I have one that I think is worse. So, you know, yeah, we're, we're going to go over that. It's going to be fun. Um, so, you know, not this, we're not just sitting here saying we're always right because we're, we're often wrong. Oh, yes. No, we're quite often wrong. We're just two jack-offs. Why are you even listening to us? <laughs> I mean, really, though. Uh, yeah, it was a stupid show this week. It's going to be a fucking terrible show next week. And fuck you for listening. Uh, <laughs> That's our Deadpool ending. Jesus. <laughs> that is. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We love you. We love you guys. Bye.